welcome back to Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast, unfortunately, is your official source for a lack of insight. And for Baseless Opinions, today is September 23rd, 2019. This is episode 280. We are reaching the home stretch. My name is Scott Magnus. And I'm Jake English. And on this week's show, we'll go around the bases, hopefully for the last time, as the Orioles season heads into its final week. And in doing so, we'll try to find new ways to tell you that this is a terrible team. And we'll do that right after we lubricate for the show. And in fact, if you're not listening to this podcast while drinking... Shame on you. It's time for the drink of the week. Jake, what are you imbibing on this this evening? Scotty, this is my uh, weeknight gin, uh, New Amsterdam. It's a gin and tonic. A little heavy on the line this evening, but it seemed appropriate. And you, sir? Uh, Jake, I've got a Winwich Heritage Reserve Northern Spy Cider. Um, it's not bad. A little dry for my taste, but uh, it'll, it'll do. It'll do. Good autumnal. A tunnel? Yeah, selection. My goodness. All right. Well, if you're interested to see what we're drinking, uh, get social with us on Untapped. I'm at Jake E4025. I'm at MAGN8606. And with that, it's time for a checkup. Yeah, even Doc McStuffin doesn't care. So, uh, listen, uh, Alex Cobb still uh, still hurt. Hopefully, he's back in 2020. Uh, Josh Rogers, you know, he's done for forever, basically, because he's got Tommy John. Um, but Mason Williams, the man we had no clue even existed, is one of the only members left on the medical wing. Out indefinitely. That sounds ominous. Look, I know there's only six games left. So that means he's done. That sounds ominous. Why can't you just say done for a season? No, that's not for a season. That's, that's oh, like he disappeared. He's, like he's injured indefinitely. Oh, so it's like, hey, that boy Williams came down to the dock, and uh, I haven't seen him since. Indefinitely. Okay, he might be uh, sleeping with the fishes. It's a, it's a dark way of saying that. So uh, exit the game early uh, due to kind of getting hit in the head, um, some left knee soreness, pass concussion protocol but has disappeared in its entirety. Okay. Indefinitely. You know, I think the biggest thing from the medical wing is uh, Hunter Harvey being shut down for the remainder of the season. Jake, we talked about in the podcast before whether or not this was a, a big deal or not. Uh, I'm attributing to, I think he hit his endings limit. Um, and I don't think the Orioles wanted to, in essence, push him further. Um, I think they saw what they needed to see. And he'll come into spring training, um, you know, next year. Competing for a bullpen spot. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. The only other thing that's not here is that, you know, we, we haven't uh, been on the mics in a bit. Last week, Renato Nunez uh, ran into a ball with his hand. Uh, Beg your pardon? Got hit by a pitch. Oh, okay. Ren- Renato Nunez, you may remember him from such films as hits the ball very hard or not at all. Gotcha. Yeah, he's fine. Okay. All right. 280 characters less this week on the Twitters. Jake, start us off. All right, Scott. I'm going to start this uh, this week on the Twitters by positing that not everything is bad. And to back that up, I'm going to go to a tweet from Mark Viviano, who, of course, tweets at Mark WJZ. Trey Mancini, today named AL Player of the Week, the day after he was presented with Most Valuable Oriole Award, and 
Austin Hayes recognized for the MLB Play of the Week for his memorable catch at Camden Yards versus Toronto. Some positive news near the end of this 100 lost hashtag rebuild season baseball emoji at WJZ. See, not everything is awful, Scott. Oh, wait. Yes, it is. This tweet comes from John Mioli, at John Mioli. Miguel Castro just allowed a grand slam to put the Orioles at a 10-9 to deficit with two outs in the ninth. This S is really tired. That comes from a beat writer clearly having to can his story at the very end of the night. <laughs> it's not often that you see the Orioles beat a beat writer. <laughs> You're like, this is bull. <laughs> they, they can't defeat the other team, but they can defeat yeah. their own beat. No writers. amount of popcorn and soda is worth this. Oh, my goodness. All right. Next, we have a tweet that comes to us from Joe Trezor, who tweets at Joe Trezor. Wearing a customized jersey with Frank Numerson's, uh, Frank Robinson's number, Ed Reed says the 2012 Orioles inspired the Super Bowl run the Ravens went on that year. Does that is that, is that even humanly possible? No. It's lip service. It's good lip service. It's good lip service. But, you know, I appreciate Reed coming back and uh, wearing the Orioles jersey um, coming out throwing the first pitch, but man, it's so much lip service. Okay, it's true, but I'm going to give him a pass. Okay, and here's why: Did you see the video and pictures of him uh, in all of the pregame stuff? Like, first of all, that that first uh, ceremony of first pitch. I mean, I know he didn't throw from the rubber, but yeah. it was straight heat, right? Yeah, uh, he was uh, taking infield during batting practice, including uh, there were pictures of him at, at shortstop. And also he took batting practice and there's some video of him, you know, hitting, hitting pretty well for a, a dude that's got a beard uh, that makes him look that old. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was fun. It's, it's, it's a fun story. But again, if you think that um, uh, another sports team needed another sports team to basically egg or encourage them on, uh, no, I'm not, not buying it. Can, can somebody egg on the Orioles? Yeah. So uh, Jake, um, what about Brady? And this comes to the tweet coming from JJ Cooper at JJ Coop 36. Former USA 18 and under director, former Cardinal scout, former Rangers farm director, and former baseball draft writer Matt Blood has wide range and breadth of experience, and Sigma Dell have known each other for quite a while. He should be a very good fit. And of course, this is in reference to Matt Blood being named the director of player development who will be in, responsible for staff recruitment, technology programs, and all the player development strategies to be ushered through the minor league system. Here's uh, here's the interesting thing to me about Matt Blood. Uh, his position with the Texas Rangers was like innovation director or yeah, something like yeah, that. Yeah, so he originally was brought on actually as the same thing as this position, director of player development. And then the Rangers moved him into innovation director which tells me that he wanted to do something and the organization said uh, i don't think we actually want you to do that so we're going to make you this new position so that you don't actually do what you're telling us to do and uh, instead you can just go and uh, do some research and uh, we won't ever actually ever implement it as such yeah it'll it'll be interesting to see what this guy's role in the organization is and how it you know impacts 
the, the play on the field at various levels of the organization. Yeah, we, we can get into this a little bit later in the show. Um, I'm like, I'm actually really excited about this, uh, this hire. Um, I think it's a really good fit going forward with the organization. And, uh, I'd be interested to see, um, how much they get Matt Blood out in front of people, um, kind of explaining what is being done. Uh, cause to date, it's really just been Elias. I wonder if Matt Blood is going to be more that face person for minor league development going forward. You know, I, f- I feel like we're going to have to start uh, paying royalties if we keep talking about Astro Ball. But one of the things that that was that struck me during Astro Ball was the amount of transparency mm-hmm. that the Astros, uh, you know, operated under. And I wonder if we're seeing that as much with the Orioles, um, or, or whether uh, you know stuff like this isn't as being well communicated to the fans. I, I don't think there was much communication at all this year. Um, I think the Orioles were in essence playing catch up this entire year and in essence establishing their foundation. Um, but I do think going into 2020, even in 2021, we're going to see more of a, I'm not going to call it an open playbook, but a, a cheat sheet or, you know, some notes um, indicating this is why we're doing certain things the way they are. So, all right, fair enough. Uh, our last tweet comes to us from the Baltimore Orioles. You may have heard of those. And uh, I'm going to go back to uh, football here, Scotty. This is a tweet from the Orioles who tweet at Orioles. Former at Ravens wide receiver at Torrey Smith, WR, is recognized as one of our hashtag Birdland heroes. Torrey and his wife, Chanel, uh, founded the Torrey Smith Family Fund. Here's the deal. Uh, Torrey Smith retired uh, from football. Most recent Was he most recently an Eagle? No. Um... I don't remember. He was with some Carolina. Okay. He, he was, was with, with the Panthers. Summers. He's he's come back yeah. to to this area. I mean, you know, he went to Maryland. He was a Raven, you know, the hometown kid when he got drafted. That was a that was a big deal. You know, it's nice to see him kind of come back and be embraced by the team, by the community. It'd be interesting to see, you know, what he's gonna do now here in this community. So next mayor of Baltimore? <laughs> Absolutely. Uh not to mention, you know, the football link here specifically, um, you know, Ed Reed was out there. So it's great to see Ed Reed, Torrey Smith out there. And like you mentioned, Ed Reed playing shortstop um, during batting practice and stuff like that, too. So a lot of kind of Ravens inspired theme out there at Oriole Park. I wonder why they're doing such things at this moment. Hmm. 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 At least it's not Yom Kippur. All right. Well, why don't we go ahead and uh, go around the bases and talk about everything that is wonderful in Birdland um, and maybe some of the stuff that's absolutely horrible at the same time. All right, we're going to start off at first base, and uh, let's talk most valuable Oriole. Are um, there Orioles with value? Uh, uh, yeah, absolutely. There's Orioles with value, just not great value. Ne- Are there Orioles with not negative value? Yes. Okay. Maybe. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. All right, so most valuable Oriole. This is an award handed out by the beat writers. Yeah, it's right? the beat writers. P- people that cover the team. Um, they do this in secret. Right. Yes. I, th- I think uh, when you see the white smoke coming out, it means that uh, Peter Schmuck has been sacrificed. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to get there. Okay. You beat me to it. Uh, yeah. So uh, 
we know for a fact, though, that the Orioles receiving votes were uh, Mancini, uh, VR, John Means, uh, Hanser Alberto, as well as uh, the, the Fantander himself, Anthony Santander. I think that's a good group yeah. in, in terms of folks that got votes. I don't think there's anybody else in that in that group that would have thrown a vote into. Yeah, um, no. And, and actually looking back, it's kind of nice to think, oh, there were Orioles that weren't terrible, right? Um, yes, five people out of the, what, 48 or 53 people that we played this year were not terrible. It all seems bad in the rear view. One here. pitcher was eh, somewhat decent. It's kind of not bad. Yeah, somewhat decent. Yeah, okay. So uh, Trey Mancini was named the most valuable Oriole, and you you uh, went to the Twitters, and you— uh, I, I stirred the pot, as it were. Uh, that seems unusual for you. But Imagine you, that. So you said, you know— Trey Mancini, not necessarily your choice, and and that's fine. That's that's all good. But I would at least like to talk about the fact that it's not a crazy choice. Right? Oh, it's not a crazy choice. Um, and, and again, I would say that Trey Mancini would have easily got in my second place vote. Um, if you know we were doing this in an MVP candidate standpoint, but he's certainly not my number one choice. Um, but you're absolutely right. It's, it's not crazy. To assume that uh, Trey Mancini could be the most valuable oil. I mean, you look at his numbers. Um, you know, thirty-four home runs, uh, ninety-three RBIs, uh, two eighty-six average, three fifty-six on-base percentage, three sixty-eight WOBA, one twenty-nine weighted runs created plus. Good for a three point one F four. Four. These are all great stats. Yeah. And um, you know, you look at the cross that line, you're like. Well, wow, that's a, a solid offensive performance. I mean, Trey posted a 129 weighted runs created plus, which I believe is a career high for him. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's not, it's darn close. Um, let's see really quickly. This is good. Uh, yeah, career high for him. Um, I mean, if you take out 2016 where we only played in six games, but yeah, 116, 91, 129. So again, we talked about last year with 2018 being, you know, you know, a sophomore slump maybe. Um, and he certainly rebounded back to his numbers that we saw in 2017, um, which, again, is really encouraging. Um, big deal, so what? Who cares? Let me ask you a dumb question. Sure. Uh, played out of position. Yeah, played out of his natural position. Right? Yeah. You look at these numbers offensively, and you say, this is a guy that could be on any club, right? Yeah. W- weighted run credit plus of 129. That looks good in any lineup. Um, if Trey Mancini were playing first base, mm-hmm. does this hold up? On most other clubs. I, I think it does. Um, and, and here's the way I would put it is I've got a list here of all the first basemen that played um, in the majors. And uh, Trey Mancini is listed under first baseman um, as per fan graphs. And if I'm looking at this list um, in terms of Whittier and Creative Plus, Trey's up there with individuals such as Luke Voigt. He's up there with like an Edwin Encarnacion. He's up there with a Josh Bell. Um, he actually best Paul Goldschmidt offensively. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that he's in the, in the right category here. Freddie Freeman um, is a little bit higher than him compared to, to him. But, uh, you know, Trey's obviously a, a top 10 potential first baseman, as it were, which is fine. But I, I think we've got to be careful here of saying, um, well, if we just moved him and played him at first base, he would have been immensely better. Now, I think that ultimately he would have been similar to the type of player that he was right now, which is um, he's a, you know, an above average uh, first baseman. Um, 
but first basemen are supposed to be hitting for 115 to 120. If they're not doing that, then really, why are they playing first base? Yeah, I think I think my point there was mostly that you move in the first base and he hurts you less in the field, right? So whatever he yeah. provides uh, at the plate, he also doesn't take away from you. But that only the math only works if he still fits into the uh, statistical category, which I think you just you cleared up for us. Yeah, and I mean the other standpoint is you know looking at Trey Mancini's number specifically from a defensive runs lost. Um, he had a defense in the run saved of negative 13 this year, which is actually very close to uh, the positional adjustment for a first baseman. And again, um, every single position in the field has a positional adjustment. Um, I believe the first baseman's one is like negative 12.8. Um, so Trey kind of guides out as a pretty average to maybe slightly below average first baseman, which I think is pretty accurate. I don't think he's a great first baseman. I mean, some of the great first basemen that are out there right now um, based off the numbers, uh, a Max Muncy, um, an Anthony Rizzo, a Paul Goldschmidt that we talked about before is doing about better than average. Um, but I don't consider it to be um, immensely better, as it were. You missed one. Sure. You missed one of the great first basemen in the game right now. You're going to say Chris Davis? I was going to make you say Chris Davis. Okay. All right. All right. So the case is clearly there that Trey Mancini is not an insane pick for most valuable Oriole. And, you know, as we mentioned, there were a couple of other candidates. Uh, but, Scotty, you made the noise, so let's have you defend it. Your pick for most valuable Oriole is? It's got to be John Fiar. Uh And, again, I could come back to, um, you know, he didn't have the weighted runs created plus of a Trey Mancini. It was at 108. But, again, he's playing shortstop, second base, third base, whatever he needed to play this year. He played in every single game. Um Trey, again, played in a ton. He played in 148 games versus Jonathan Yar's 156 games. But again, I think that it's so, I think it's so similar to what this mindset has been for the Orioles fan for years upon years since 2012 is we look immediately at, well, how many home runs did he have and how hard did he hit the ball? This is the same kind of error in judgment that we got into with Chris Davis. And Jonathan Yar brought the power, but he also brought a lot of plate discipline posting up a 341 on-base percentage. But most importantly, he posted stolen bases. He had 38 stolen bases. He's the first player um, on the Orioles to basically post a, I think it was like a 20 and 35 in 35 or 40 years. I mean, we shouldn't be scoffing at this. I mean, this is a big deal, as it were. So, again, if we're looking for the Orioles to be more aggressive and, um, in essence, make runs for themselves— Jonathan Villar did that. Yes, he made errors. Yes, he made mistakes. But overall, Jonathan Villar grades out really well, both on an offensive performance standpoint. He has the base base running metrics of any player in Major League Baseball right now as per BSR. And his defensive performance, even though he did have errors in the field, was only at negative 1.8 runs lost, which, again, not great for a shortstop slash second base. Um, But I wouldn't also say it was terrible at the same point. You know, it's interesting you talk about the base running because when I think of Jonathan VR, I think of two things. First is the stolen bases, and the second is the toot plan, mm-hmm. right? Because he will run himself into outs. But even despite the occasional mental errors, his uh, base running is very highly rated. And that's because not only does he steal, but, I mean, he takes the extra back, right? He turns singles into doubles, unless, of course, he's going for the cycle. Um, you know, he, he does those things that, that help on any other team win you ball games. There was some doubt in the first half 
but I think he really solidified it in the second half and put the trade value back in trade value VR. Yeah, I think it's not just the stolen bases and it's not just everything we're talking about in terms of the two plan. I just think it's the aspect of aggressively running on the base pass puts additional pressure on the outfielders where it allows other runners to basically move up. Um, I just think it's an incredibly important skill set that we harped on during the Buck show. Walter Aaron said, well, Buck doesn't run enough. And now we have an individual that is in essence running enough playing aggressively on the base pass. And when he basically runs into a two plan situation, we're quick, quick to crucify him. But at the same point, we are not looking at the entire picture as it were. And basically, uh, you know, raising up and saying, yeah, this was a great job. It's the same thing of, you know, coming back and laying into people that was like, well, the shift didn't work that inning or the two point conversion didn't work in this given instance. <laughs> and we're going to basically hold it up as a sacrificial goat um, and say, hey, this is a major issue. Um, and we're not going to look at all the other good things that are occurring based off of this kind of behavior slash uh, methodology. All right. So your pick is VR. Yes, that's great. Uh, and I go to VR too because um, it's it's the standard of if Trey Mancini would have gone down, the Orioles would have again lost a ton of games. Sure, no question about it. They might have lost another two or three more games. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So um, if Jonathan VR would have gone down, uh, I can only imagine the amount of games that we would have seen Richie Martin in the field playing every single day. The Orioles have no infield depth. There's none. Are you kidding me? No infield depth. No d- infield depth. All right. You just back off All for right. a sec. Hanser Alberto okay. can play everything. Then you've got... He, he can play maybe Pepper, and that's about it. <laughs> then you've got Dr. Poo-Poo Dr. when Poo-Poo. he's not in center field. Yep. All right. You have... Rio Ruiz. Rio Ruiz. Yeah. You have Richie Martin. Yeah. You you have... Try, try to get this out without laughing. You have Jace Peterson. <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> All right, it isn't good depth. Yeah. But can, it's Can we imagine an infield depth where it is Rio Ruiz, Hanzo Alberto and uh Richie Martin out there or along with maybe Jace Peterson and Steve Wilkerson interspersed in there as well. And Renato Núñez. And Renato Núñez if he doesn't have the ball running into his hand. It would have been ugly. <laughs> it would have been a show. It would that have been a sure show. So, I mean, I I come back and I take a look at um Jonathan Villar against other shortstops out there. You know, he's got a better performance than folks like Trey Turner, Corey Seager, Tim Anderson, Gliber Torres. When I look at those names stacked up against him, I'm like, all right, that's my most valuable Oriole because if I lose him and I've got to replace him with someone of a similar name to that, I can't. And it's impossible for me to do so. All right. Fair enough. Let me uh, let me ask you this: Should the Orioles' best player win the MVO? Yes. Okay. Best player on the field wins and losses most valuable. Um, is there no consideration in an award voted by the beat writers mm-hmm. for the the guts, the uh, the the grit, the emotion, the leadership, the whatever else you can think of. Uh, then we should just call it the grittiest Oriole of 2019. The most grittiest Oriole. I like it. Hey, uh, note for next year's bevy. Yeah. 
Grittiest Oriole? Grittiest Oriole. I mean, if you're just going to pick um, the best clubhouse guy or anything like that, then just go with Adam Jones. But, like, you pick the most valuable person that is, if the person were not on this team, you know, what kind of impact does it make on the team? And maybe that is Trey Mancini. I just think that, you know, looking at the depth situation for the entire organization, Jonathan's my pick. I actually think it would have been really funny if the uh, beat writers had awarded Adam Jones the most valuable Oriole this good. season. Or Buck Walter. <laughs> right. Yeah. All right, let's mosey over to second base. I want to talk about something else that happened this week. Um, we, in, in the past couple episodes, have talked about Michael Elias cleaning house, uh, and that came and hit home in a rather uh, real way uh, for my household uh, this past week. Uh, BJ Serhoff uh, sounded off for really, really not liking being dismissed as a roving instructor. And he uh, he lashed out at the organization, not just for firing him, uh, but for firing him in a way that he felt like, you know, uh, people weren't being valued or being giving, given the opportunity. Um, and it's, a, it's an unfair thing because the club is obviously not going to comment, right? So no, what you're hearing is a, is a one-sided argument. Um, you know, and he said, oh, my sour grapes about the organization, no. But at the same time, I also wasn't given the opportunity to get on board with you know, with, with the new program, they don't know I'm not capable of it because I wasn't given the opportunity. Sure. So some of the quotes here are, I'm not happy, not happy at all that they don't see a value in what I do. And they'll spin it some other way, a reallocation of resources and new people and a different fresh set of eyes. Okay. Except my eyes have 35 years of experience in pro ball. Yeah. First of all, let me just say that's not a good look. Secondly, I love B.J. Serhoff. My great aunt, Betty Jane, Betty Jane Muller, loved B.J. Serhoff. Same initials and everything. She was in love with the man. And just like the entirety of the United Kingdom has taken Anthony Santander for their own, our family latched on to B.J. Serhoff in a mindless, you know, undefendable un, uh, way. Um, this is the guy who, you know, cried openly over being traded away from the Orioles. He's associated with better times because, you know, he played far enough away from the present to have avoided the entirety of the, uh, the dark ages. It's a bummer that stuff like this happens when you have a rebuild, right? You're trying to reshape the organization. You're trying to turn in a new direction. And in doing so, the team has tried very hard to latch on to people like Brooks Robinson and Eddie Murray and make sure that they are, you know, kind of holding on to the the emotions of the past while facing forward. There are going to be times, though, when you have people like B.J. Serhoff, who, you know, my household and maybe three other families in the Baltimore area uh, care about. But also think about some of the other Orioles that, you know, have kind of drifted out of the organization. Chris Hoyles is a good example of somebody that was involved until he wasn't. This kind of stuff is going to happen, and it's the it's the lesser known and, and more uh, potentially painful part of a rebuild, but arguably still necessary. Yeah, I mean, I, I hear what you're saying, and you know, I think the biggest thing is this just screams to me of old baseball players not having something to do going forward, and it's basically being told. We no longer want you to be part of this game 
Um, and this is your final now being told you need to move on from the game, which is extremely difficult regardless of um, any situation that you're going into. But like I, I look at another tweet that came out from Ross Grimsley in regards to the Dan Connolly article. Baseball guys like go by Elias are and should be pissed. Their opinions being around players are unwanted by most in charge now. Crazy but true. With better players and O's organization coming, ex-players' knowledge and instruction, instructing are priceless and will speed their progress to major leagues. I think it's dangerous, though, to assume that because certain former players are let go, that the uh, input of all former players is not welcome. You're right. I mean, Alan Mills was let go, obviously, even though he was named, what, minor league uh, baseball coach for the Orioles organization. It's um, it, this is an idiotic aspect. It it just seems like it's a bunch of people that are in essence again tied to people that they have a good relationship with in terms of either you know a contact in the organization previously played with them, um, and in essence they are looking out for their best buds as opposed to approaching the matter in a very logical manner. I mean, does Brendan Hyde have no? major league baseball experience as it were um that we can't rely on um are we saying that there is no other coaches that are currently within the Orioles organization both the major league and minor league levels that have no baseball experience that um, they don't feel like are going to be warranted it's absolutely insane um and it's complete drivel as it were um peter gammons tweeted as follows as ever sir Hall thoughts are well taken 19 and a half years in the major leagues in the organization wants people who may not differentiate between theory and reality, which again comes back to the point of uh, I'm an old man. I don't like these fancy numbers that you're throwing at me. Uh, get off my lawn. Uh, we should again, just move back to what we were doing during the eighties and nineties and reestablish the game in that fashion. But again, Michael Elias was a scout, right? M- Michael Elias has as much affinity for old time baseball as old-time baseball guys. It's just that it's not the only thing these guys are going to hear. And again, I come back down to, it just seems like to me, um, this is sour grapes. Um, This is an individual that is lashing out. And and frankly, they're putting themselves in a really bad position going forward to be hired by another club and or another organization. Um, You know, I've had to let people go in my career. Jake, I know you've had to let people go in my career. Again, it's a situation where when that comes down to it, you let the person know. The person says, all right, I'll take care of it. And then it moves on. It's just like that scene in Moneyball. It's just like, just tell them they're let go. Tell them to call this person. That's all that needs to be said. You don't need to extend it any further than that. BJ Surhoff, in this instance, extended it more so than it necessarily needed to be. So, um, yeah, I'm I'm extremely disappointed in BJ Surhoff. Um, I have no, you know, ill content to the way this was handled. I think it was handled in probably the proper way. Um, and the fact of the matter is, uh, BJ Serhoff continued to go through that article and mention, well, they didn't tell me what needed to be done and stuff like that. There was plenty of new things that were going on in this organization over the past nine months that if he was really interested in, it's not that hard to A, make an appointment, B, make a phone call, or C, go and talk to somebody else that is actually having some success in the organization. It's also easy to say when somebody's not going to counter you publicly. Yeah. All right. So let's, uh, let's wander on into third base. Let's talk about Mike Elias. Uh, a couple of nuggets from Mike Elias this week. Um, just a couple of quick hits, Scotty. Let me know what you think. Okay. 
Uh, one, he's confirmed that wins and losses at the major league level still won't matter next year. Okay. Yeah, doesn't surprise me. No kidding. All right. Um, this was more interesting to me. Number two, Chris Davis will be at least at spring training at the beginning of next season. All right. A little surprised about this, but it actually does make sense. Uh, you've got an entire offseason where you've got player development and the ability to basically work with that individual. Elias did come into the process, I'd say, fairly early. Um, but this gives you an entire offseason to see what you could potentially do with Chris Davis. Do I expect anything good to happen out of it? No, I don't. I expect it to be exactly the same that we see as of right now um, going into next spring training. But if you're going to pay him, what's the benefit for basically keeping or basically cutting him at this point? Why not just bring him into spring training, have him try out, see if he shows anything different. And then at, at the end of spring training, you make the decision whether or not you can actually put him on the 40 man roster or not. All right. Two thoughts. Yeah. First, now we've got Matt blood. So clearly there will be some sort of innovation happening with Chris Davis. Second of all, if the, what if we make him hit right-handed, <laughs> <laughs> uh, second of all if this whole uh batting and playing first base thing doesn't work out i know there's an open position in the organization that was recently vacated by another former player maybe we just slide him right in there all right uh next we've got uh this this little nugget here with the improvement of the minor league system the orioles would need to make some adjustments to the 40 man to protect some players for the upcoming rule five draft isn't that weird that we would have assets at the minor league level that we would be worried that someone would take i think this actually always happens really yeah in our organization yeah i mean the orioles organization i think is eighth ranked right now in major league baseball yeah but it wasn't for much much long time i think there's going to be certain players and again it'll be interesting to pull up the notes specifically about who is going to be rule five eligible but i bet you there's at least one or two players on there that potentially could be selected in the rule five draft all right, we'll have to we'll have to dedicate a podcast upcoming on that very topic. If I wrote that down, there would be a much better One chance second. of it happening. And got it. Enhance. 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 All right. Last little nugget that I that I pulled out here uh, on the topic of arbitration, he said we'll have to look at our overall budgetary picture and take that into account when deciding when to go through arbitration. Uh, I find that ominous the mention of the overall budgetary picture. Yeah. Right? It was so easy in the past to say, oh, you know, Angela's being cheap, yada, 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 yada. We know that a rebuilding club is already, by definition, cheaper than the, you know, spending on mediocre free agents to get the 72 wins. Um, How does that work with arbitration? I I wonder, you know, what's the calculus going to be for we're not willing to go and spend that money if that money isn't necessarily needed elsewhere. I, I mean, I think this comes to the question of is Jonathan VR tendered a contract or not? Um, he's probably going to make in the ballpark of eight to $10 million. Do you offer Jonathan VR on this team eight to $10 million to come back and play for them? Well, I would if he was the most valuable Oriole, but he's not, is exactly. he? Um, I think what's going to happen is the Orioles are going to tender their contracts to everybody. 
um, if they decide they want to cut that individual in spring training, they only have to pay a portion. I think it's a third of their contract um, at that time, and then they, he can, they can sign with another team. Um, I think the Orioles will, in essence, take that gamble, as it were, with Jonathan VR, um, and in the hopes of actually being able to trade him um, in, in the very near future. Yeah. This is, this is last year under control. No, he's arbitration eligible. What, what is his contract situation? He has one more year of arbitration available. He will be in arbitration three, um, upcoming this season. Oh, okay. So this, this is it. This is it. So 2020 would be the last aspect for Jonathan Yar. Um, there is no more opportunity for him to be available after this point. Hmm. Well, it's a shame he had a hot second half of the season, not a hot start to the season. I don't think it really matters. Um, I think it's just it is what it is. Um, I, I don't think it's that big of a deal. I mean, would you offer $10 million to Jonathan Yard to come back to the Baltimore Orioles? Sure. Okay. The, it's like, uh, whose line is it anyway? The uh, the points don't matter and the games yeah. are made up. I mean, fair, fair point. Yeah, I, w- I would spend $10 million to, to watch a not terrible player. All right, Scotty, bring us into home, would you? All right, so Jake, um, here's my question. We've been waiting for it the entire season, Mm -hmm. and it's finally occurred. Austin Hayes has come. Austin Hayes has made some uh, amazing catches, Um, not just the one over center field where he he made a great catch, but again, he's made some really nice diving catches. He's shown great range in center field. We were teased this last year with Cedric Mullins. Is Austin Hayes for real, or is this just another illusion that Cedric Mullins was kind of putting up last year for us? I'm going to say no. And I'm going to say no only because we as Orioles fans can't have nice things. Um, I think that Austin Hayes is the next Nolan Reimold in the fact that if he were to stay healthy, by all accounts, he should be a pretty good player. But it's just not going to happen. And I base that again just on Orioles fans self-loathing. Um, in all seriousness, no, uh, the interesting thing about Austin Hayes uh, is not just the prowess in the field, which is there, uh, but also the approach he's taken at the plate. Hyde has been crowing about his patience to the plate, um, you know, going out of his way to talk about walks, right, when, mm-hmm. when he's asked about Austin Hayes uh, in games. You know, there was a game this past week where, um, you know, I think that he uh, he he came back from zero and two and two at bats and, and took two walks and Hyde was was just you know uh, gaga about that. If if he can be productive at the plate and he can do th- uh, do so because of his approach, I think that that just puts everything in his favor. Um, clearly, you know he's he's a good defender, right? Um, I'm not sure he's necessarily going to be the center fielder of the future. But he can play at the major league level if he can continue to get on base. Yeah, I mean, when you look at Austin Hayes and, and, and you look at his you know, scouting report, as it were, um, you know, he's got a speed of 55, fielding of 55, and a throws of 60. All things that basically say, yeah, he could potentially play center field. And everything that I see via the eye test makes me think, this guy's a center fielder, no question about it. Um, which is interesting, because again, when we were talking about Hayes coming into the year, we weren't sure if he could be a center fielder. We thought mm, corner outfielder probably, but we'll have to see. But the Orioles kept him down this season specifically to, in essence, grow that ability and grow that talent to basically learn how to play center field. And I look at how he positions himself now and how he makes that jump towards the ball. 
And I'm wondering if holding him down and having him learn the position of center field is one of the underwritten stories of the season so far. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I think you're being a little unfair. Austin Hayes was clearly blocked by Stevie Wilkerson. Clearly, clearly. <laughs> but uh, you're right. Like, uh, you know, you look at Austin Hayes numbers, nothing jumps at you of saying, yeah, this guy's going to be a great uh, hitter, as it were. Um, you know, you look at his his hit and his power, um, and it's, you know, 45 to 50. So he's going to be um, maybe average, probably slightly below average. Um, so he's probably going to be in that 90 to 100 weighted runs created plus. Um, I don't think he, again, is a starting center fielder for the next, you know, five to 10 years. I think the Orioles are still looking for that player. Um, but certainly, um, I'd rather see Austin Hayes out there than Stevie Wilkerson. I'm sure. sorry, but that's the way I feel. Um, Austin Hayes uh, clearly demonstrates to me a better defensive prowess, and I'd like to see more from Austin Hayes going forward, um, especially this this power that's being demonstrated um, as of recently, and see if that can actually continue to translate over um, into the major leagues. I mean, he played in AAA for 59 games. He only hit... Uh, 10 home runs. But again, you take that over the entire you know season as it were in the majors, he's probably a 15 to 20 home run guy. If I'm taking a 15 to 20 home run guy into Camden Yards with, you know, average to above average defense, he's probably going to be at best 1.5 to 2.0 war player. Again, this could be a very similar kind of Trey Mancini, kind of Anthony Santander, you know, player. So again, if you have an Anthony Santander player who's a one to two war player, Austin Hayes is a one to two war player, Trey Mancini who's a one to two war player, and then you can finally find a few superstars out there that are four to six war players, then maybe you're into something at that point where you're like, okay, we've got two superstars and a bunch of other above average players. Now we're putting together a playoff push, as it were. So I don't think Austin Hayes is the superstar of the future. Um, but I do think that he may be a player that we, in essence, fall in love with going forward in this next generation of Orioles when they're competing again. You heard it here, folks. Next year's most valuable Oriole, Austin Hayes. He also looks a lot like Ryan Blake. Um, <laughs> and I don't know how to feel about it. Like every single time I see it, I'm like, that kind of looks a little bit like Ryan Blake. Um, but yeah, that's just me. Okay. All right, it's my favorite time of the show. Let's find out who won Fantasy Boss this week. What a surprise. I mean, when you pick Dr. Poo Poo, you should expect bad things, but... How is it that I do well in the segment that involves numbers? Analytics. Am I the new market inefficiency? Absolutely, no question about it. All right, so we picked how many strikeouts, so who would have the most amount of strikeouts, uh, and you picked Alec Wojciechowski, a watch, and uh, I picked Doctor Poo Poo. Uh, so Jake, you won four to nothing uh, on on the strength of a watch's uh, arm and not Doctor Poo Poo's. Uh, so we've got six games left. Um, we should find something exciting for these last six games to kind of wager on from a category. Hmm. It's got to be. Uh... It's got to be, you know, something you can count or measure, but I feel like it's also got to be somewhat mean-spirited. 
All right, what do we got here? We could go with uh, we go with hit by pitch. Mm-hmm. Um, we could go on the honor system. Mm-hmm. You know, we there there are those folks. You know, let, who's your pick to click type of deal? I say mm-hmm. we pick who will have the most depressing moments. Okay, this week, and that that will require us to to agree on. The depressing moments. Okay, so we've got to pick which player we think is going to have a more depressing moment. We'll have more depressing moments. Oh, more over, depressing over the moments. Course of the next six games. Okay, sounds good. We can we can do that. Um, so I am going to go ahead with Michael Givens. Oh, that's a good one. All right, going out of the bullpen. Yes. Um, I imagine that. I <laughs> I think that that is uh, definitely. A good place to go. Obviously, clearly, the right place to go would be our our first baseman. Um, oof, that's tough. I'm tempted just by what happened this past week to go with Miguel Castro. Mm-hmm. I feel like he's got it in him uh, to do it. Yeah, I'm going to go with Miguel Castro. I think he will be far more depressing this week than Michael Gibbons. All right. Well, we will find out who will um, be more disappointing out of the bullpen this week. Will it be Miguel Givens or will it be, um, I'm sorry, Miguel Castro or Michael Givens? I try to combine the two into one category of suckitude. Please don't. Let's not do that. Let's not create that Frankenstein, as it were. Um, And uh, let's go ahead and figure out who is good, who is bad, and who is ugly this past week in Baltimore. That's right, it's time again for the good, the bad, and the ugly. I want to go ahead and get started this week, and my good is going to go to Aaron Brooks. Uh, He pitched seven innings strong, giving up just a hit and a walk while pitching for the Orioles. I feel like that's a huge achievement, so that's my good for this week. My good's going to go to the most valuable Oriole, Trey Mancini who posted a AL player of the week kind of statistic, but even over two weeks, Trey posted a 373 average, 414 on base percentage, a 449 Woba, a 184 weighted runs created plus, four home runs, 16 RBIs over that period of time. Yeah. Trey Mancini has been uh, pretty darn good this past week and in the past two weeks. My bad is going to go to Pedro Severino who uh, posted an 86 weighted runs... Hang on a sec. There's a smudge on my screen. A negative 86 weighted runs created plus and failed to register a hit in his 14 plate appearances this week. Woof. That is pretty bad. Uh, Jake, I'm going to go with uh, Anthony Santander as my as my bad for this past week. Um, he posted an 11 weighted runs created plus over the past two weeks. Uh, good for a negative 0.4 war. Um, yeah, Anthony Santander was absolutely hot, but I think um, our our Greek god has, uh, in a sense, fallen, uh, flown too close to the sun, as it were. Icarus and comes up so frequently on this podcast. It does. Um, he does have a 115 BABIP, so he does have a little bad luck in him. Um, so that's why he's not my ugly 
Um, but Anthony Santander gets my bad for the week. Um, Anthony, just reapply some of the wax on there and uh, get to flying again. My ugly uh, this week is going to go to the local rec council who uh, is responsible for many, many failings. Uh, but, you know, my, my son's playing fall ball. I'm like doing, allowing you to coach. <laughs> I'm doing a little bit of coaching. Their games are at 1 o'clock on Sunday. Oh, how is that even possible? 1 o'clock on Sunday. And uh, the start of the season was Ravens opening day. How, how is that possible? Beyond that is the fact that our season tickets for the Orioles are Sundays at 1. Yeah. This is the most inconvenient time to have Little League Baseball games. Horrific. That's horrific. So, 1 o'clock on Sundays through November, oh. I'm going to be busy. I, I will tell you, however, the best way to watch a sporting event, be it football or baseball, is with DVR. Oh, I agree with that totally. I agree with that totally. I've been uh, taping games and watching them in the evenings. Whew. They move at quite a clip. Yeah. So my ugly local rec council, get your ish together. One o'clock on Sundays is a terrible time for baseball games. Smiley's so going to have to go to Miguel Castro strictly for giving up a grand slam and giving up the game. A five-run inning in the ninth. I'm not even going to look at the rest of the week's stats. Um, this was a, a bad enough scenario where Joe Trezza had to go in and alter his headline to his article that he just wrote saying Miguel Castro um, is giving some belief that he could perform in the future to outside of last night, you know, Miguel Castro has been pretty decent. I mean, it was that bad of a showing that a beat writer had to say, I'm going to change my headline in order to not get hate mail. Here's why it depressed me. Yeah. Do you remember the random game against the Seattle Mariners? in which Chris Hoyles hit the Immaculate Grand Slam. Yes. You remember this from, like, 98 or yes. something, right? Absolutely. That means that this moment Chris is... Chris Montgomery was on the mound? I, I mean, don't know. This moment is now some random fan's defining fan moment. Hey, remember that game where we came all the way back and we hit the Grand Slam at the end of the Orioles? God, that was a great game. This sucks. Just stinks. Just stinks. <sighs> this team is fun. We'll go with that. All right, let's go ahead and blow the save. Scotty, I was, uh, was over on the interwebs today, as I want to do from occasion to occasion. And I, uh, I was over on the Orioles.com and saw that their, lo- uh, their latest marketing slogan is, Be a part of it all. That's what was splashed at the top of the screen. Be a part of it all. And it made me think, what exactly is it that you want me to be a part of? Because I, I don't know what this is, but that's a bold, bold invitation. Yeah, I, I could be a part of this? Yeah. Me? It. I could, I, could, I could. You can be a part of it. All this greatness that's happening, I could participate in. Yeah. Okay, okay, guys. So, you know, maybe they're just throwing that out there. Just to trying see, it out. See how it works, you know. And first it starts in the corner, and then it gets bigger, and then maybe they put it on the wall. I don't know. Uh, but I'm going to predict that the result's not going to be great. So Orioles marketing folks, 
go back, workshop that a little bit. But it got me thinking, what should their slogan be, mm-hmm. right? Like, what what should their call to arms be? How should they be engaging the fans and getting people excited? I think in these dark times, you know, it's, it's likely that it'll be a little bit darker. But, you know, we, we talked about the transparency uh, question earlier. Yeah. I think their slogan should be, at least we're being honest with you this time. Right? I mean, during yeah. the dark ages... I, I feel like we were sold a false bill of goods just about every year. This year, at least, they've come out and they said, hey, the wins and losses don't matter. We're working on it. Yeah. At least we're being honest with you this time. Okay. That's actually a terrible slogan. How about uh, we've got beer, but it's not Natty <laughs> Bow? How about come stand with us, but don't sit in our seats. You'll get it dirty. How about uh, it's safer in here than on the streets? Oh, yuck. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Bird's eye view listeners, we need you desperately. Scotty and I are clearly not cut out to be in the marketing department. So what is the slogan the birds should plaster all over their website? Let us know. Reach out to us on the Twitters. We're at Bird's Eye View B-A-L. Give us, uh, give us some good stuff to go on. Uh, I mean, honestly, there is really only one good 2020 marketing campaign slogan that they come out with. I'm terrified. We like the duck. Yes, that's much better. It's much than better to be a part of it all. I just like the duck. So if we're going to blow the save in an appropriate fashion, I think we get rid of the O's hat, and we have an alternate hat for Friday nights. And there's a duck on Friday nights caps. All right, second call to action. <laughs> if you're good with Photoshop, listeners, I want an Orioles alternate duck logo there's the uh one uh twitter thing which is other bird logos we need to contact him and be like we need to uh have a duck orioles logo all right and we'll we'll make this happen we'll get this going on all right and that that is our show remember you can find this and our entire catalog of indispensable episodes at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com birds eye view is available for download wherever it is you get your podcast subscribe to the show on apple Podcasts, stitcher google play music spotify and many others Please remember to rate and view the show. We appreciate the feedback, and it encourages other people to listen for the first time. Come and get social with us. You can email us at contact at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. You can find us on social media, on Instagram, Facebook, and Snapchat. But the best way to get a hold of us is on Twitter, where we tweet at birdseyeviewbal. And with that, Baltimore and beyond, I'll bid you all a fond... Adieu, adieu. Good night, Baltimore. Be safe out there. And let's go O's. So we're going to do this again next week, or can we just take a little bit of time just to self-reflect on the season? I feel we like, just want to just get it over. I feel like we've taken so much time off. Uh-huh. By the way, good work on the disinfectant in here. Yeah, no problem. All right. We'll be back next week. And then that after that, we got to rest. There's a lot of wounds. Who, who knows who when knows. you'll see us again. Yeah. 2023. You're still here? It's over. Go home.
Go.